listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. I don't think anyone ever grows up wanting to be a stained glass artist. It just kind of finds you. Why are you doing this? Because I didn't get into medical school. Everything I did that had a foundation in common sense, I always failed in. Judson has the largest stained glass window in the world to make. But everything I did when I dreamed something intensely, I always got it. We just didn't understand who could possibly want a window this big. The church has 20,000 members. This expansion will allow for them to take many more. And others who have questioned if $90 million is excessive. That sounds like a crazy amount of money. It sounds absurd, actually. Are you guys going to make the church's deadline? No. We're making something that's never been done before. We don't know how we're going to do this. It could sink us. I mean, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> Narcissus! He is to stained glass what somebody like Steven Spielberg is to filmmaking, or Michael Jordan is to shoes. There's our guy flying in to save us. Those are excerpts from the documentary Holy Frit, a story about the creation and construction of the world's largest stained glass window. Throughout the church's history, stained glass has confessed Christ. It's been a way of teaching the stories of the Bible, teaching the truths of the faith, we're going to find out how this largest stained glass window was created. Joining us, the lead artist for the Resurrection Window at United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, a member of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Pasadena, California, and a glass artist, Tim Carey. Tim, welcome to Issues Etc. Thanks, Todd. How did you become involved in glass artwork? Well, I was just a regular artist, I guess you'd call me, a painter trying to make my way in the fine art world, which... You know, it's the early 2000s was really challenging and trying to make a name for myself as a painter. And I always had a side job. So one day I uh, stumbled into this place called the Judson Studios because I knew somebody who worked in their gallery. And he said, oh, come by for a tour. So I showed up there and I walked in and I just was like, whoa, what is going on here? And it was a stained glass studio. And they were looking for painters, people who could just paint on glass. And so, you know, having grown up in the church, I'd been aware of stained glass, but never thought about it as a viable art form. But that moment of walking into that building and sort of stepping back into time and feeling like there's history here and this is something and glass was so beautiful to me, I, I just never thought about it. So it caught me off guard. So I started working there as a part-time glass painter and it just didn't take me long at all to realize, oh, wow, there's a lot of potential here for this medium to be more than it currently was at the time, which was sort of like it was production oriented glass painting and neoclassical stuff. And it wasn't anything that I considered high fine art. And so my feeling was, wow, I could bring some real fine art background to this medium. And I just took off from there. So historically, how has stained glass been used by the church to convey the Christian faith? It was, you know, it's been around for over a thousand years. I mean, most of the windows that we hear about and know about are from medieval Europe. 
And it was used as a teaching tool for the illiterate masses who would come to church and you know didn't have copies of the Bible and weren't able to read or weren't able to access the information. So they would put the information visually in these windows. Now, looking at some of these windows now, you might go, wait, this is really hard to read what's going on. If you look at Chart or, or Saint-Chapelle or some of these amazing churches, but really that's what it was for. It was to teach and it was to bring beautiful light into the church. Light has always been synonymous with, with Christ and with, uh, with the faith. And so bringing colored light into the church, creating an environment and teaching the people about the scripture. Just how big is this resurrection window? So it's the size of an NBA basketball court. That's sort of the best way to put it. It's 93 feet in width by 37 feet tall. It's really big. Tell us about the congregation that commissioned the window. So the congregation is the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, which when I heard about this job, I was sort of like, wow, really? Kansas? They're, they're building this huge contemporary building and they want to put a massive stained glass window in a very unusual location because stained glass is usually something that kind of wraps around a church and you see it on the sides of the church and sometimes in the apse behind the, the altar. But you don't see it like this as a giant picture, basically like a movie screen right behind where, where the pastor speaks up high. So when I heard about it and learned about the community, I was interested and puzzled. Adam Hamilton is their pastor. He is um, an author. He's written many books. He spoke at Barack Obama's second inauguration, the prayer breakfast. It's a big church. You know, they're the, I think they're the largest mainline church in America. They have, at the time we did this window, they had over 20,000 members. And I believe they've grown a lot even since then. But uh, it's an interesting community, you know, very, very diverse. They like to say that, you know, they don't follow any specific political bent. You know, they're 50% Democrat and 50% Republican. They're United Methodist and they're wonderful people. You know, I, I got to know them very well and it was a really good experience working with them. Why did the congregation want stained glass and rather than just an ordinary window to let in light? Uh, that's a great question. You know, at the time that we made this window, there were some people who would have said stained glass is a dying art form. A lot of mainline churches, a lot of evangelical churches, a lot of these big box churches, they don't do this traditional type of work anymore. So it was a surprise that this was coming from a Methodist church because a lot of these churches, they do, you know, their original sanctuary where we went to visit the first time was just an auditorium and there was projection and, you know, all that kind of light shows and all those things that they do. But when they surveyed their congregation about this new sanctuary, they said, we want stained glass. And I believe that it's because of what stained glass means historically and because of the feeling that I think it creates, because of the quality of light and the, the creation of a holy space. And that was really important to the people who were worshiping in this, in this church to have traditional stained glass. But they were building a very contemporary building which is kind of interesting. And that's sort of speaks to the process. And when we got involved at Judson Studios, we're a very traditional studio who's done a lot of um, traditional leaded glass. And the, uh, the congregation said, well, we want something kind of contemporary, but kind of traditional. So it was a challenging fit in the beginning, but just like all these types of commission work, it, it becomes 
an act of collaboration between myself and my studio and the pastor and the congregation. And they were really interested in creating a masterpiece and something beautiful and something that would last for hundreds of years. As the artist behind this window, what did you want the window to confess? That's a good question, Todd. Well, you know, me, myself, I'm a, you know, I, I've weaved a, a long path throughout my faith, started out as a Catholic and worked my way through many different denominations. Actually, being in stained glass brought me back to my faith because at Judson Studios, you know, when you're making windows, you've got to learn and you've got to pick up the Bible and read the scripture. So I was very aware of my faith as a child and growing up, but I didn't really focus or, or get involved and really think about it until I started reading the scripture again for my work, for my job. So obviously, when you do these windows, you're doing work for different denominations and everybody wants something different. Everybody has a little bit of a different theology. As the artist, my job is to create something for this community and for any community, for them, not for me. So it's a struggle sometimes when I think about my faith and the things that are important to me. Uh, I feel very lucky with this window that I was allowed to speak into the process and some of the things in the window that ended up being present and prominent were my ideas and kind of related to my faith, but it's not my job to project my faith into the project. It's my job to give the community what they want. So I just wanted to make something beautiful and I wanted to make something that I could be proud of as an artist and I can be proud of as a Christian and that could speak into people's lives. You know, Pastor Adam Hamilton says that he wanted the gospel to be preached before he said a word. And so in this window, you've got a 37 foot Christ arms outstretched staring at you really. His head is five feet tall. And for me, that figure being central in the window, it was everything because Jesus is our faith. And there are a lot of ways that people kind of dissect and, and maneuver around all the different aspects of Christianity, but ultimately it's about Christ. I was glad to be able to put a large figure of Christ standing arms outstretched with the cross right behind him. You received the commission for the window, but in many ways, you didn't know actually how to execute the project. Why was that? Well, yeah, that was something that as an artist, I have done probably too many times in my life where somebody comes to me with an idea for a project and I kind of jump off a cliff. And um, it's an instinct. I think a lot of artists have that. It's sort of, uh, it keeps, keeps us excited and interested. But for me, the reason that I ended up designing something that I couldn't make was because I was really desperate to get this job. And I knew that it wasn't going to be enough to just do a traditional stained glass design. We were competing with companies from all over the world. And we were in the final three with a company from Italy and one from Germany. And the German company was our big competitor. They were very contemporary. They had done a lot of colorful, contemporary, abstract kind of work. And we were coming from the traditional side. So so my feeling as the designer was, I have to push this in a more contemporary space, which in terms of the language of stained glass, that meant adding more color. Stained glass has a bit of a limitation when it comes to color. And every time you want to use a different color in your piece, you have to put a line, a lead line. And that's how traditional stained glass has been made. So you can't incorporate lots of different colors in a single piece of glass. And that's what I did in my design. And part of my thought process behind that was 
well, we'll figure out how to do it. We have to get this job. We, if we do something spectacular that looks like a, a little, a little more exciting than a traditional stained glass window, we're more likely to get the job, and uh, we'll figure out how to make it. And maybe that was a little naive or arrogant, but that's what we did. What was the challenge of working on a canvas the size of an NBA basketball court? Oh, that is the question, Todd. You know, when you're working on stained glass for churches, usually, like I said, it's it's 10 or 12 windows and they're they're sort of spread out throughout the church. They're not a focal point in the church, usually. Usually they're meant to be something that catches your eye and maybe you look at during a service. And But this thing is right in front of your face. I mean, you don't miss it when you walk in the building. It's And it doesn't have any architecture in it. You know, it's just a big rectangle. You know, oftentimes church windows have traceries and they have gothic shapes and interesting types of um, designs and compositions. But this one is just like a big movie screen. So the challenge was coming up with a composition, first of all, that was pleasing, not too busy, and also creating movement in the piece and some depth so that there's a lot to look at and you don't get stuck in any one point because this is this is your, the main focal point of the church. So creating a way for the eye to move around and also creating an architectural element, which is the lead. Because with fused glass, which is what we ended up using, you don't need to have those lead lines. Like I said, you can use many colors on a single piece of glass, but because the church wanted a stained glass window, they wanted lead lines. And so the lead lines, which are the black lines that they're made of metallic uh, lead. They create kind of a sculptural quality and an architectural element that links kind of panel to panel and gives it a little more interest than just a big flat piece of glass. So the challenge for me was just putting all these elements together and making it something that didn't, you know, of course it's going to dominate because that's just how it looks in the church. But the church is a beautiful space. It's a it's this round contemporary building and, and everything in the church sort of embraces the window. So the challenge was putting all these elements together into something that was going to match the space and not look out of place. So tell us about Narcissus Quagliata. Narcissus Quagliata. Well, that guy is an amazing fella. He's a legend in glass. Uh, he's now in his 80s. He has been working with fused glass for 30, maybe 40 years, kind of in a vacuum. You know, fusing, which, in, in, like I said, in, in comparison to stained glass, fusing is the ability to melt different colors of glass together. And it's only been around for 50 years or so, since the 60s. The reason being that fusing glass requires a specific kind of scientific invention that, that was created only in the 60s, which basically means that you can... The glass can be heated and cooled without being unstable. So um, Narcissus has been working with fusing as a painter for, for almost 30 years. And so he's developed techniques for using glass fusing to create imagery, transparent imagery in glass. Usually fusing is thought of as casting objects or um, bowls, plates. There are lots of different ways to work in a kiln, which is how you fuse glass. But what Narcissus brings to it is the image part of it. And so he comes from a stained glass background. He also comes from a painting background, the way that I did. And um, he and I have very similar aspirations for fusing and for, and for bringing fine art into glass. And uh, he's a guy that I always knew about, but never thought I'd ever meet. He just is one of those people in our industry that is distant and uh, legendary. And somehow I got to meet him. 
Tim Carey is our guest. He's lead artist on the Resurrection Window at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, the largest stained glass window in the world. We're going to talk about the process called Frit after this. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Life has become so transient, frenetic, changing faster than ever before. The culture needs to see that stability and commitment still exist. There's no more powerful testimony than two who will stay together regardless of all the challenges and changes of life. Indeed, this gift, marriage, this sacred call to be husband or wife, we must guard and protect. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. Their toll-free number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Ask for faith that shines in the culture. We're talking with glass artist Tim Carey about the creation of the world's largest stained glass window. Tim, what is this process called frit? It's very simple. Frit is ground glass. Glass is uh, made of silicon dioxide and ash and limestone. And when it's made, it's usually made in sheets. And so the way that they make frit is by crushing these sheets of glass. And what they can do by crushing the sheets of glass is to create powdered glass. And so 
they create it in different forms uh, of very fine powder. There's three different grain sizes that we use, which are one of them is kind of like sand. And then, then there's one that's more like salt rocks. And then there's one that's more like small pebbles. And so the idea with the frit is that you can create painterly effects, meaning effects that are, that are soft and transitional that look like brush strokes, um, just by the way you manipulate that material and the way you set it up for heating in a kiln. And that's what Narcissus developed was using frit to create paintings in glass. How many versions of the window design did you guys go through? <laughs> we uh, went through a lot. When you're trying to get a job like this and when you're working with the community and when you're trying to tell the story of the entire Christian faith, which is kind of what we ended up doing here, you go through a lot of versions. So I think 76, I think 76 to 80. Um, in the film, there's a graphic that shows all the different versions as it developed. It started with a concept, which was Pastor Adam Hamilton's idea of the three gardens of the Bible. And it was the Garden of Eden on the left-hand side, the Garden of New Life on the right-hand side, and then the Garden of Resurrection in the center. So that's that was sort of the, the basic composition. But it went through a lot of versions to create the overall look and the color scheme and where are all the figures going to go and which figures are going to be in there. Um, so doing something like this took, I think it took us three months to get to a finished design. Tell us about the other people that you had the opportunity to work with. So working at Judson Studios, we have, it wasn't at the time a very large crew. And so we needed a lot of people to help us with this window. And we needed to learn all these new techniques from Narcissus very quickly. We got really lucky with a kid named Quentin Blackman who was kind of uh, down on his luck and looking for a part-time job and came into the studio, quickly became part of our process. He went through a major transformation over the course of three years. He has a mechanic background, and so he helped us with the kilns, and he helped us with all of the management of, of the project. And he ended up being a, a really vital part of making the window, and he's still a vital part of Judson Studios. Of course, David Judson, the owner of, of Judson Studios, you know, he was the risk taker. He was the one who decided to, to put all of his marbles on the table, so to speak, and, and go after this project and allow me to do this design and to sort of send us into this new place that nobody had gone before with stained glass. And then, of course, Narcissus, Adam Hamilton. It was a really interesting mix of folks, and it took all of us working together. And I think that's Kind of the thing about this project that I'm most proud of is that we live in a time that's not super positive and there's a lot of bad stuff going on. And so to have this story of a cre the creation of something that is doing a lot of good for a lot of people and brought a lot of people together to create something. And, you know, it wasn't a pretty process. There's a whole film that talks about all the things that went on behind the scenes, but it's a positive story about people coming together and making something that's kind of bigger than themselves. How would you, to a person, a layperson, how would you describe the very involved process of going from kind of the graphic design to the finished window? Yeah, so that was the hardest part, was developing the sort of production of this window because it's a lot of steps. And so the idea is you make a design, and I did it all on the computer, uh, thankfully, you know, we live at a time where you can do work with Photoshop and create images pretty fast and lots of different versions. And then once the design is finished, you end up with 
you know, these large panels, each one of the panels in the window is four feet wide by five feet tall. So there's 161 of these panels in the window. And um, you have to print out each design at full scale. And then you look at it and kind of go, wow, it looked very different, small, now it's large, and you have to dissect it. And so you dissect it and you deconstruct it. And so for instance, you know, when we're doing the face of Christ, we're looking at the face at full scale and saying, okay, how do we create these colors here? There's a wash of red and green and purple. And so you draw shapes on a piece of paper that, that say, okay, I'm going to cut these pieces out of colored glass. And then you draw, you make a little note where the Fritz going to go. So you create sort of a map. Then you use pieces of clear glass, which are just basically simple sheet glass, clear glass. You lay it out on the table in the shapes that are in the window. And then you begin to lay the glass, the color on there. You begin to lay the frit on there. There's a there's some glass paint, traditional stained glass painting that's used as well. And then all of these things come together on that surface of the glass and then they put into the kiln. And like Narcissus says, it goes through a volcano. So you set up all of this stuff on a piece of clear glass. You put it in the kiln and the kiln does the work. It heats it up and melts it. The glass comes out, you look at it and go, hmm, do I need more frit on there? Do I need more paint? Or do I need to redo it all together? So, so that's the process. And then once all the pieces are done, then the traditional leading comes into play where the lead is wrapped around each piece of glass. The panel is completed. And then it's strengthened by using a, what's called putty or cement, waterproofing. And then that becomes a rigid panel. And then we put five panels in each crate and we put the crates in the back of a big truck and said our prayers and, and sent them off to Kansas. And then they had to be installed one by one into this massive frame, which is 100 feet off the ground. So thankfully, I didn't have to do that because I wouldn't have done well at those heights. But we had a great team of people that were able to install each panel. Each panel weighs 100 pounds or, or more. And so we're talking about 16,000 pounds of glass up there. And uh, we had a really good crew of folks over the course of many, many weeks in multiple installations put the window in. Were there setbacks during that process? You know, there were setbacks because what happened was we had to develop the process while we were making the window. We didn't have time. You know, the church was very specific about having this window done by a certain date to fulfill the promise to their congregation. And so the setbacks were trying to, first of all, find people who could help with this because it, it required a demanding schedule. It wasn't just a nine to five job like a lot of our other projects are. You know, usually with church work or stained glass, there's not a huge rush for it. But in this case, there was. And so finding people that could not only put in that type of effort, but also develop the skills, develop the production. You know, there's a lot of moving parts here. And then the studio was a big one. That was probably our biggest setback. We had thought when we started the project that we were going to make all of these panels at Judson Studios, which has been around since 1897. And it's beautiful and it's old and it's quaint, but it's not big. And so we ended up starting the process there and then deciding that we needed a larger space. So there was a building available for lease just kind of around the corner. And we stopped our whole production thinking that, well, if we get into this new building and we build it just for this process, basically set it up to make this window, we'll go so much faster after we're in there that the time we lose getting it set up will be worthwhile. 
So that was one of the big setbacks was, man, can we do this in a way that that is going to get this window done on time? And, you know, those were the challenges every step of the way. You know, we didn't. Ha- and then, you know, I'll mention another big setback that is seen in the, in the movie is there's a company called Bullseye Glass and Bullseye Glass Company makes fusible glass. And so they're the ones who invented it in the 60s and they still make it today. Well, they were almost shut down right in the middle of our project because of a false report of heavy metals in the environment. So when you're creating glass, you use a lot of heavy metals. You use cadmium, uh, you use arsenic. And so the Department of Environmental Air Quality actually put a big hold on their company for the over the course of six months because of they had found that there was heavy metal in the air. And the whole community in Portland, where they're from, went kind of crazy. So they had to stop making glass for a while. That was a huge challenge for us because we had to order glass. We had to find ways of creating colors using alternative bullseye glass colors. And that happened. That was a challenge. Uh, Of course, Narcissus wasn't with us the whole time. He would go home to Mexico and come back. The whole thing just was kind of a wild, wild journey. What was it like to see the finished window? Wow. It's funny, you know, I, uh, as a, you know, religious person and, uh, you know, I'm a Lutheran, so (laughs) I try not to get too, uh, I don't have that emotional quality inside of me that I don't know if that's good or bad, but when I saw the window, my feeling was relief. Honestly, I felt that we had accomplished something pretty major and that we had delivered for a group of people who put a lot of faith and a lot of trust in us. So as an artist and a commission artist, especially, um, I just think of it like I'm doing a job and I want to do the best job I can. And when I saw that window and I saw how the scale worked and I saw that Jesus was, you know, not too big or his head wasn't too small or the proportions were right. Because when you make stained glass in panels, you don't really know that it's going to work until you put it up there, you know, and that's the thing about stained glass. You, you, you're making it all in, in one environment and then you're putting it up in a completely different environment with different lighting scenario, uh, different angles and perspective. And so when you finally put it in there, it's too late to do anything about it if you have to fix something. So as a stained glass artist, I think my, my first response is always relief. And then, you know, the next thing for me was how are people responding to it? And they had a uh, kind of a ceremony when we f- put the first middle third of the window in. And they brought in their whole congregation to see that and to sign the floor underneath where they were going to put their final floor. And so I got to watch people stream into the building and see the window for the first time. And, you know, as an artist, that's a really meaningful thing to see it impacting the people who it's supposed to impact. And that was really moving to me, much more so than the window itself, because as an artist, I'm always going to be critical and I could have done this better, could have done that better. But when I see the effect it's had on the people, when I see the effect it's had on the pastor who commissioned it, who went out on a limb to, to risk this, and there's a lot of sort of gratitude and relief that comes into play at that point. When you've taken on something so big, you know, like I say in the film, it, it didn't fail. <laughs> if you would tell us about the window itself, just describe it from left to right. Or, well, it's, the story starts on the left, from left to right. So the story is, well, simply put, the the history of the Christian faith. So on the left side of the window is, it starts with Adam and Eve. Eve is picking the fruit from the tree of the Garden of Eden. 
And that tree is fall colors because it represents the fall. So it's sort of the leaves are beginning to die on that tree. Uh, and then immediately the idea here is that we, we enter into the story of the Old Testament with certain characters and stories that were specifically chosen. We start with Cain and Abel, and then uh, you see Noah, and you see Abraham hands up looking at the stars in the distance. You see Noah's ark with the animals and the rainbow. Then it sort of weaves. So the idea here is that it's weaving into the distance and sort of telling the story, creating the sense of time. And as it weaves into the distance, it's traveling along the course of a river. The idea being that the river is taking you from the left side of the panel all the way through to the back, back to the front on the right. The river's in the shape of the omega, so a reference to the alpha and omega. And the river on the left side has the story of the Old Testament. So it's it's uh, Sarah and, and Abraham, and then there's Jacob with a stone. Then you see Joseph being dragged past the well off into slavery. And in the distance, you see Egypt with the pyramids. And then Moses coming forward with the tablets. And then we have Ruth and Naomi, King David with his harp, Daniel and the lions. And as it goes deeper, the last figure you see is Esther. And then right there, you see the right hand of Christ. And so the idea here is that as your eye takes you back into the scene, Christ is what brings you forward. His right hand brings you straight, you know, just sort of flattens the picture plane and you see him front and center. And then on his left hand, on the right side of the window, off of his left hand is the beginning of the church. So it's uh, Pentecost um, and then it's Peter and Paul and then then select members of the church that Church of the Resurrection wanted in there. We have Augustine, it's Perpetua, there's Martin Luther is there with the 95 Theses, uh, Thomas Aquinas and Francis of Assisi. There's John Wesley, of course, for the Methodists on his horse. And then the idea here is that as you get into the new creation, you see the communion of saints. And so all, all of those who are in heaven, uh, there is a member of the Church of the Resurrection there, a boy named Matthew Joyner, who uh, never had the ability to walk or read, or he was, he was disabled. And so they wanted to put somebody in the window that represented the disabled community. And so he had passed away a few years before, and he's in there reading a book and looking happy. And the idea being here that we're looking at, at a world where there's no more tears and where the lion, uh, where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And so we have swords being turned into plowshares. There's a figure holding a sword that's turning into a plowshare. Then you have the tree, the green tree with, with all the fruit. And so that's the overall composition in the center of the window. It's the story of Christ's life, which is weaving along the inside of the river. So it starts with his birth and it ends with his death. So you have these interesting symmetries of the two Marys. You have Mary and Christ at the inn, or, or, the, or oftentimes, I guess they thought of it as a cave. So there's one element right behind Christ that looks like either a tomb or a place of birth. And so it's meant to be both. And then on the right, you have Mary Magdalene weeping. And then behind, you just have the story of Christ, his baptism, calling of the disciples, woman at the well, uh, Sermon on the Mount. We've got Zacchaeus in the tree. We've got the Last Supper. There, there's just so much going on. And then finally, up in the sky, you have um, a galaxy on the upper left that is describing, meant to sort of be creation. And then on the right, we have the Holy Spirit hovering over the church in the, in the form of a dove. And then in the sky, all the way running across in the distance are what we call the cloud of witnesses, which are on the left-hand side, prophets and saints from the Old Testament. And then on the right-hand side, 
we've got the apostles and gospel writers and uh, New Testament saints. And then interspersed in the window is all kinds of symbolism. There's stuff that's directly related to Kansas, their state flower, their state bird is in there. There's some personal things in there for other members of the community, but it's a, it's a lot to look at, that's for sure. <laughs> We're talking about the creation of the world's largest stained glass window with Tim Carey, the principal artist for the Resurrection Window at United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. We'll discuss the documentary of this window called Holy Frit next. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the creation of the world's largest stained glass window. Tim Carey, the lead artist on that project, is our guest. Tim, tell us about the documentary that covered the the creation and construction of this window, Holy Frit. So Holy Frit is a film that documents the whole process. I happened to be living next door to a fellow named Justin Monroe at the time this was all happening. And Justin was a filmmaker. And at the time we were getting to know each other and, you know, having a beer on the porch and talking about life and work. And I mentioned where I worked and that we were going after this project. And he said, wow, that's really interesting. And I, and I said, well, maybe you can come down and help us by creating a 
pitch video and something that can make us look cool and set us apart and, uh, and, and give us a better chance of getting the job. So he's like, sure, I'll do that for you. So he came down with his cameras and just like I did when I walked into Judson Studios, he said, what is going on here? What are you guys doing? And um, he fell in love with the building and the kind of work we were doing. And he said, you know, you don't have this job yet, but if you get this job, you're going to want some documentation of it. Would you mind if I just filmed, not knowing if we were going to get it or not? And so David and I said, sure, yeah, you know, go ahead and film. We don't know where this thing is going. And so the unique thing about the film is that he was there from the beginning and he was there before I even met Narcissus. And so the film chronicles the making of this window. Um, but I think more importantly, the film chronicles the making of people and the coming together of people and the difficulties and the challenges. And it's not all pretty coming up, doing something historic and creating something that's, that's of this significance. So he's there from the beginning following us around, not only filming the process of making the window, but filming us, talking to each other, filming Narcissus and I arguing, having coffee. He's filming me at home with my wife. You know, he's, he's trying to tell the story of people. The window took care of itself. It's beautiful, glass is beautiful, but he really wanted to tell the story of the people and how we were all shaped, how we all grew, how people like Quentin went from being a 19-year-old, you know, potentially a homeless kid to becoming a prominent member of our team and you know just how it all came together the film is it's a little bit irreverent in some points so there is some language every now and then but ultimately it's a feel good story about people doing something historic and uh and people growing generally in their faith my faith grew big time in this process it really impacted not only me as an artist but narcissus as somebody who wanted his techniques to live on as he's getting older in life and then the church themselves you know, they, they have really managed to take this window and this project that they had and turn it into something really, really good, giving back to the community in the face of a lot of criticism for spending that kind of money on a building and on a window. I think that the, the film really tells the story of how we all kind of overcame something to do something really great. Finally, how has your Lutheran faith influenced your vocation as a glass artist? It's been amazing because I think of my work as really trying to use scripture and trying to understand how to take scripture and make visual versions of it, essentially. As a Lutheran, one thing that really captured me was this idea that we are a scripture-based community and we are a Christ-centered community. And so I try to always make sure that my work preaches Christ. And I try to always make sure that I'm truthfully representing scripture. Now, I'm not a theologian, and I don't claim to have all done the kind of studying that I think I would have liked to have done with scripture, but what I love about my Lutheran faith is it's not complicated. And I think I spent a lot of time as a Christian, especially in my 20s and 30s, making it more complicated than it was. And when I met Pastor Jasa at Mount Olive Lutheran, and he didn't give me any, oh, if you just do this, or if you want to go deeper, you can do this. He just preached the gospel to me and said, let's go have lunch. And that, you're, it's all good. You know, you don't need a relationship with Christ. You have one. And a lot of the things that that I try to do in my work are to keep it simple and to, to stay focused on, on the truth of Christ and the reality of, of us as sinners needing him every day, all the time. 
between my my faith and my journey at Mount Olive with Pastor Jasa and you guys at Issues Etc., which honestly, I owe a lot of it, my current status to you, Todd, and to Roseboro and and Wolf Mueller and, and uh, all the guys, Jonathan Fisk, that I listened to that really helped me to understand my faith in a way that I didn't know before. And I try to carry that forward in my work. I don't always have the opportunity to do exactly what I want, but if I do, I try to sneak it in there. Tim Carey is a glass artist, a member of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Pasadena, California. He's lead artist for the Resurrection Window at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. You will find a link on how to watch the documentary Holy Frit at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Tim, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Friday on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro. We'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.